Christy Bilbrey. Right after college, I started my career in the Senate press office and then the White House. For the next seven years, I worked in corporate marketing before starting my own business. As soon as I did, the one thing I realized that none of those experiences taught me was how to market myself. Promoting yourself can mess with your head. Discovering brand storytelling and learning how to put it to work in my messaging saved my business. Once I learned this, I started teaching other business owners how to put it to work in their business as well. I created the Business That Story Built podcast to help strengthen the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we tell others. Audiences crave the human side of businesses. They want to get to know you, follow you, and interact with you outside of the buying experience. This can be intimidating to say the least. If you're ready to take your mindset and your messaging to the next level, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Thank you so much for joining today. I'm really excited. We are continuing in our sales series and I was really surprised that I was able to book our guest today. I can't wait for you guys to hear from him. His name is Victor Antonio. Thank you so much for joining today. Love being here. Thank you for having me. By the way, how did you find me? I found you because I was I was getting ready to do this sales series and I was looking for who are the top speakers and I went to Outbound and I looked at some of the speakers at Outbound and I'm like, this guy looks amazing. Let's see if I can find him. And, you know, he he responded and booked it and I was shocked. But here we are. And you thank you so class. much. And you, you guys... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I was just doing a little homework. Um, you guys don't know this cause this won't be coming out for a little bit, but it's Thanksgiving Eve. So he gave up some, some prime cooking time to come here. In time. My wife does cooking. I don't testing. mean to be typical here, but she's just a better cook than I am. I can't. <laughs> yes. All that, all that great testing, all the, all the recipes. Yes. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Victor before we, before we get started. He actually comes from a really poor upbringing in one of the roughest areas of Chicago, but that didn't stop Victor from earning a degree in electrical engineering, an MBA, and building a 20-year career as a top sales executive and becoming CEO of a multi-million dollar high-tech company. Prior to being CEO, he was president of global sales and marketing for a $420 million company. And when he was vice president of international sales, in a Fortune 500 $3 billion corporation, he was selected over 500 sales managers to join the President's Advisory Council for Excellence in Sales and, Man and, sales and Management. He has shared the stage with top business speakers such as Zig Ziglar, Damon John from Shark Tank, John Maxwell, and many others. He's authored 13 books, and he's done over 300 sales training videos. He's spoken... I won't even mention every country, everywhere in the world you can think of. He's also been the host of Spike TV's reality show, Life or Debt. Thank you so much. I'm sure there's 5 million questions I could ask, but we'll try to, to narrow it down for, for today. So first of all, I'm just wondering what took you from engineering into sales? How did that happen? The short story is, uh, so my family's originally from Puerto Rico, right? Okay. As you know, the Commonwealth of the U.S., and they, they moved to the states in the 1950s. And so as you pointed out, poor, 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 you know, food stamps, government cheese, powdered milk. 
My mother said, go to school, get the education, get the JLP. That's how you live the American dream, to which I said, okay, uh, giving you the short version of this. And so I decided to do electrical engineering because it's just, you made money. I got to be honest, I was totally money oriented because, you know, when you don't have money, you're just trying to find a career that gives you that allows you the opportunity to make money. And so it took me five years to graduate, really five and a half years to graduate from college. I had to like scrape. I mean, I clawed my way through college. You don't understand uh, when you there's when you get an inner city education, you realize it doesn't compare it to private school or, or Catholic school educations, you know, education rather. And I remember just being so disadvantaged my first year, I had to drop out, out of my regular courses, take all these pre-college classes before I could actually join the regular uh, class. And so I graduated, right? Five and a half years to graduate. I graduate, Christy. Then, like three years into my job, I had this, like, I don't know, this, pressing, this, this depressing thought. I don't like this. I don't like engineering, right? And I, I was kind of depressed because, you know, you've invested five and a half years plus another three years working, right? That's eight and a half years. And if you think about opportunity cost, that's twice that, right? And I'm like, you know, it was really hard because my identity was wrapped around, you know, or in engineering. And that's when I started looking around for different things to do. Fast forward just a couple more years. Um, we had our first child, Victor III, third revision till God gets it right. <laughs> and, you know, so... My wife, after a year of working and had our child in baby uh, daycare, she said, is there any way you can make more money, you know, and, you know, so I can stay home. To which I said, there's a position in Latin America. They're looking for a Spanish speaker who has a technical background, is willing, you know, willing to travel and sell. To which I wow. said, I can do that. yeah. And so I said to her, I said, that I said, well, I can do that. She goes, great. I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before you say yes to that, I said, that'll require me to be on the road at least 50% of the time. To which she said, and what is your <laughs> You know, <laughs> so uh, that's how I got into sales. Again, necessity was driving that. Uh, but I was very good at being an engineer. And I also had some good, you know, verbal skills. I joined Toastmasters. So I really worked on my speaking skills. And I think that's one of the reasons they wanted me to go in sales. Interesting. So obviously you have then gone on to stay in sales, do all kinds of things in sales. What is your driving sales philosophy? Value for value. That's it. I live by that. That's my credo. And it's a, a, I don't know if you're familiar with the author Ayn Rand. Uh, she's, uh, oh, she's, yeah. she's like the, Ayn Rand wrote the book, the, like the Fountainhead, Atlas mm -hmm. Shrug. Uh, she came from Russia. She wrote these books. And she is like my, my, when it comes to philosophy, she's like my North Star. And in there, she talked about the, what is capitalism? Uh, in a book called The uh, Capitalism, The Unknown Ideal. And I remember I read it years ago. And when she made a statement, what pure capitalism is, and if you think about this in sales, you'll get it. It's value for value. If I offer you value, a product or service that I'm selling to you to help you grow physically, financially, emotionally, revenue, cost, whatever it may be, then I should expect value in return. Right. Every relationship, even my, my marriage, yeah, we're being married now, but together 36 years, right? That's because there's a value for value exchange. And I love that phrase because when you're selling, you're not selling somebody something so you can make money. That's the wrong way of looking at it. Mm. You're providing somebody something of value that's going to help them. And in return, you're receiving value win-win. Yes. Oh, I think that's so good. I, I will we'll definitely dive into more the mindset um, in a little bit. I know just you talk a lot about finding the why of your clients and mm -hmm. What do you think, what would you recommend would just be a few questions to help listeners start doing a better job of being able to dig into the why their clients buy? 
I, you know, I know you mentioned your demographic is predominantly female, right? Mm -hmm. I truly believe females are better salespeople. Now okay. let me qualify that because I'm not trying to pander to your audience mm -hmm. is that naturally you're more inquisitive, but then you have an extra, an extra gear. I call it, you're very patient. And if you've ever seen a mom with kids, oh, you're patient. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> and I think when we talk about selling today is that I think that is the superpower today. Nobody wants to be sold. When I talk about finding the why and how people buy is because nobody wants to be sold. So we have to figure out how do people buy? Mm -hmm. And to understand how people buy, you really have to be patient and ask a lot of questions and really care about the questions you're asking. Don't ask them just to extract information. Ask them to understand where they're coming from. Uh, I love the phrase. I wish I'd come up with it, but I didn't. It says, in order to close a sale quickly, you should slow down so you can speed up the sale. And I love that phrase, right? Because if you slow down and I empathize with my customers because I'm truly trying to understand because I really want to help them that creates a different feeling or vibe within a sales conversation. Yeah, no, that, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so just, and I know this is probably long story, but the short version. Mm -hmm. So in your book, mastering the upsell, you talk about acres of diamonds and just mm -hmm. that concept. And so I was wondering how that kind of applies to your outlook on sales and, um, just kind of a little bit of that that mindset and looking for opportunities. I think especially with the economy the way it is, a lot of people are nervous that, oh my gosh, are my sales going to dry mm. up? Just, you know, how how would you recommend people approach that? So for if you're listening or watching this, uh, Russell Conwell wrote this book, Acres of Diamond, like years ago, I think like 1950s, 60s. And I remember he toured actually, I think with the money he generated from his speaking tour, he actually founded Temple University. Acres of Diamonds is a story that, he tells uh, that said in, in South Africa, uh, where he uh, this this imaginary guy, we'll call him Al Hafid, that's the title they gave him, the name they gave him, visits his pharmacist and he starts talking about these diamond mines in Africa, right? And he's like, man, if you just found one diamond, you'll set up your, your, your whole family for and generational wealth down the road. So the farmer sells everything, goes out looking for diamonds, long story short, doesn't find anything, loses everything, his family, his money, throws himself off a cliff. Good Greek tragedy, dies, right? Meanwhile, back at the farm, there's a new owner. So one day, Al Hafid is going by that farm again, stops in, and he notices this big black rock on top of the mantle or the fireplace. And he just starts yelling, it's a diamond, it's a diamond. The new owner, the new farmer says, that's not a diamond, that's a rock. He says, no, it's a diamond. It's a diamond in its raw form. And he's like, where'd you get it? And he says, well, they're in the back. There's a creek in the back and they're just basically scattered all over the place. And the, the lesson embedded in that story is that one, if you're going to go after something, you better know what to look for, right? Because the original farmer had all the diamonds in his backyard, but didn't bother to actually study and understand what's in his backyard, where are the opportunities at. And because he didn't see the opportunities, he went off and just wasted a lot of money doing nothing. And I love that story. And I started mastering the upsell with that because I'd read a study that I talk about in the book that if you focus on selling to your existing customer base, you can increase your sales by up to 30%. Well, that's a big number, yeah. Chris, right? It's a big number. And so, in other words, your customers are your acres of diamonds. You just have to go to the backyard by the creek and start kind of fishing or you know plucking diamonds, so to speak. And when I talk to companies today, it's amazing, Chris. It is amazing when I ask, how much upselling do you do? And is that part of your sales process? The answer is none and no. No, we don't really do that. And we really haven't extracted that or measured that. I think less than 13, 14% of people actually do upselling to their existing customer base. And so for those of you listening, if you have a good customer base, the question then becomes is what else can we sell them that is of value?
Yeah. Why do you think people neglect the upsell? I yeah, I don't know. How's that? <laughs> Christy, I want to give you some intelligent answer, but I got none for you. Because the uh I'm laughing because I go, I got none for you. That sounds really English, uh Chicago. Uh but when I asked when I when I talk to companies that ask about their upsell, it's almost like you know, slapping your forehead like duh, didn't think about mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Or they say, Yeah, we do it. I mean, but it's kind of ad hoc. Right. Okay. And so it's almost like nobody's talked about that. When I went online, look, I think I only online to see what other books are on upselling. I think I only found another book by Steve Schiffman, I think. And then mm-hmm. I couldn't really find anything. The last one before that was like in 1980. Okay. Wow. It just blew oh, my wow. mind. It just blew my mind. And I'm like, wow, nobody's really talking about upselling. And that's when I decided to write the book. So I have no answer for your why it doesn't exist, even, uh, you know, as far as why people don't focus on them because we're always focused on referrals and follow-ups right thing i can think of maybe they're in the follow-up that's the upsell but in the book i talk about upsell opportunities are when you're talking to the customer one-on-one and upselling opportunities are everywhere and think about there's no customer acquisition cost because you're already your customers your sales cycle is short in other words you sell more more frequently because you already have them as a customer and why companies don't do that, I don't know. But you do see websites. We talked about, I talked about this in the book, like Amazon, right? People who bought this also bought that. That's upsell, right. that's a recommendation engine. So I guess people do use it indirectly on their websites, but I rarely see it implemented. And if I were to guess, and I'm sorry for the long answer, but if I were to guess why people don't upsell is because they're trying to close the original deal and the thought of upselling maybe convinces them they'll put the deal at risk if they try to sell them more. Mm, okay. So I guess that's, that's looking at upselling at the time, excuse me, at the time they're originally becoming a client Correct. as opposed to, okay, later down the road. A month later. Yeah. Okay. Then, by the way, I'm, I'm glad you made that distinction because there is the, I call that the second sale. When the second sale is when you, you close it on the, like when you buy them, you know, I just went and bought a Mac. Right. And then they say, Hey, do you want to buy an external drive or a bag to go with that? I call those the second sale. Those are upsells, but they're right there at the moment. And then mm. the other upsell, as you're pointing out, I'm glad you highlight this, is like, let's say a month later or two months later. Okay. Okay. And, you know, what would you say goes into, for, for both of those, I mean, when it's the initial sale and you've already talked about slowing down, being patient mm-hmm. so you can know more, probably better needs assessment. So when you are doing the sale, it's, oh, turns out they actually need this too. Mm-hmm. Um as well as I need to pay attention as I'm working with them the first few months, several months, you know, whatever, what else do they need? Or maybe they, this is kind of where they had to start, but now that they've grown, they can do these other things. What do you think is involved in developing? And I'm sure there's a lot of things, but Mm -hmm. what are some of the keys involved in just developing a smart, effective upsell strategy? Okay. So let's look at it as a process and let's take a Let's take two different processes, two different sales. Let's say you're buying a computer. Let's use that when everybody gets a computer, right? And let's say, remember the slowdown, the speed up? Mm-hmm. I start asking you a lot of questions. You say, Victor, I'm looking for a Mac. I say, Christy, great. And then I'll ask you questions about, you know, what do you do, Christy? You're like, well, I do some film production on the side, do a lot of post editing, this and that. Really? I mean, do you, is it mostly here in Atlanta or Georgia where I'm at? Or do you travel? No, I really travel a lot. Okay. And I keep asking you all these questions, right? So based on what you've told me, I'm going to recommend a computer, right? Because you mm-hmm. give me a budget. You said, Victor's the budget. Here's the budget. And I'll say, okay, Christy, here's what you wanted for. Here's This fits your budget. And then I'll say, by the way, I said, because you travel so much, two things you should take into consideration, and maybe you're not considering. One is the weight of the machine, right? 
mm -hmm. you know, as far as screen size weight. Maybe it's weight and maybe you should get a bigger screen size if you're going to edit on the road. So one that's light, one that has a bigger screen, but also one that has an extended battery life. Now, what I did was that during my, my discovery, right, I was asking all the questions, all these questions about what you do. And so now when I'm getting to the close, I closed you on the computer. I said, here's something to think about. Why not add the second battery? And I'm making this up. You carry the second battery. And also on top of that, I got another model over here that's just going to be almost within the same price range, but it's going to be much lighter and mm -hmm. with a bigger screen. You're like, oh, and then then we then we discuss trade offs. Right. OK. But notice that I didn't like surprise you. I, I closed you on the computer. I said, you know, now that you bought that, Chrissy, why don't you buy this, too? Mm -hmm. I was able to tie it back to our original conversation. So the, the more questions you can ask on the front and let's say call it front load, front load the questions. When I get to the close, it's going to be more of a natural upsell. Sure. That's one way of looking at it, okay? Uh, let's go to another industry, the pool industry. I've worked with them a lot. I think it's really fascinating. Hmm. So we decided where the upsell moments are. So for example, they have a process. You come in, you're like, oh my God, I want a pool, right? And so you sit down with the designer and you go through the whole thing. And the designer can try to upsell you on things maybe you haven't thought about, right? Sure. So we finalize the design. $100,000, good. Christy, you're happy. I'm happy. Let's get going. I give you the date. We're going to start actually production or construction. So what happens is, you start construction, then I program it in my CRM as part of my cadence is that I'm going to come within a week after the construction started, for example, I'm going to go visit, do an on-site visit. Okay. And there I'm going to say, you know what, Christy, now that we're doing this, and now that I'm looking at this, as we're going through this, this would be a good time to consider. Remember we talked about this during the design phase and you said, not right now. I said, now would be a good time to consider whether you want to do this, you get this special tile, put a fireplace right here, a fire pit, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then they also, so that's one place they actually have the upsell moment. Then the other one, I should say that's the second one, designer with a designer, you know, post after construction has started. And then right before it's finished, pre-completion, like a week or two, there might be another site visit. You know, now that we've gone this far, here's mm -hmm. something else I want you to look at or think about. And then you can do it post-completion as well. Maybe sell some patio furniture on the back end. Now, here's what's interesting. And I talk about this in the book. There's something called decision fatigue. Decision fatigue is where you get tired of making decisions. We've all been there, right? Yeah. You're just making so many decisions. You're like, ah, just stop. Just, <laughs> just that, you know, just wrap yeah. that up back. That's all I want. Yeah. And so what we found is that there is this thing. It, it's real. Decision fatigue is real. And so once we close the contract on the pool, when we go into a construction and it's one week after construction, it's almost like your brain has settled down now and it's not so tired okay. again that you're ready right. to make new decisions. Yeah. That's the power of it. And I talk about that in the book, how powerful mm -hmm. that could be if you kind of program your cadences for a follow-up. That makes sense because even when you're learning new things, my husband is amazing with computers. And mm -hmm. so he gets really excited and he wants to teach me all these things, but there's only so much my brain can take in one yeah. sitting. And I'm like, okay, that's I it. I, that's all I can take. <laughs> now, the visual I have is that you're trying to put a bucket of water over a dry sponge. Mm. and most of the water just goes off the sponge, right? It's just because it can't absorb that quickly. But if you were to pour it gently onto the sponge, it would actually be able to absorb more. That's the difference in how you give yeah. people content. Yeah. Okay. No, that's good. So it's just kind of thinking through what what is everything I have available to me that for some people it will be, you know, different people will have different pieces of this, but what what are all the tools in my toolbox basically? And right. then really trying to figure out um, like you said, when are the right times to have different conversations? Cause it may be, it may be and a different a process, right? 
Christy, everybody can just lay out a process. What I would do is I would just do a box diagram. Okay, here comes the inbound lead. Somebody calls in. Okay, so what are the questions I ask when somebody comes in to qualify them? What are some of the questions? Okay, if I'm going to meet with them for the first time via Zoom or live, okay, what are some of the things I want to show them? What are some of the things I need to make sure that I kind of cover? There are questions I ask. And you start kind of boxing those out. And then you'll start finding these opportunities. Okay, here's when I should mention this. Here's when I should talk about this. And then you become more strategic when you do it that way. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. And and it simplifies it. I feel like that just making the little box design, that totally simplifies it. Yeah, let's get back to ABCs of boxes, right? Box and line, boxes <laughs> and lines. That's all you got to do. What do you feel that most people miss, salespeople, business owners miss when it comes to sales or upselling? that can make a big difference. Yeah. The thing I'm starting to really appreciate more and more about the sales process is that first of all, products and services are almost the same. You're not unique. You're not different. If you're watching or listening, you're not special. Right. <laughs> so uh, I said, but here's, here's the upside of this is that for the first time, I think the salesperson, the business owner, the entrepreneur is the actual unique selling proposition in and of themselves. In other words, the products are almost the same. Services are almost the same. People are buying you and how you explain mm -hmm. it to them. And so what people want, and I'm going to see if I can describe it, because it's, it's an interesting way of, of thinking about it. People are ready to make a decision. If you propose it, right, people are ready to make a decision, but you'll get to let me think about it. Let me get back to you. Let me talk to my spouse, maybe next quarter. When you hear that, mm -hmm. it's because, not that they don't believe you, but here's the subtlety. They themselves don't have the confidence to make a decision. You have not imbued them hmm. with the confidence to make the buying decision. Okay. So what's really happening is that they're lacking confidence. Now, there, there's, a, there's a book that just came out by a guy named Matt Dixon. Matt Dixon was one of the authors of The Challenger Sale, which came out in 2011. What I love about this book, and I'll be brief, but it's really powerful. So pre-pandemic, one of the biggest complaints was that only 5% of conversations with salespeople actually made it into the CRM. So in other words, you're talking to a customer, only 5% of that information was actually entered into the CRM, right? Okay. And so 95% of the conversations lost. So you can't really understand what those conversations yeah. were, what the data was. Then the pandemic hits. Then everybody goes digital. So what this uh, Matt Dixon did with his company called Tether is because everybody started doing, you know, Zoom calls, Google Meet, whatever it may be. Now we had the actual recordings. So what they did is using artificial intelligence, machine learning, they took, listen to this number, 2.5 million calls, audio wow. and video. <laughs> they analyzed them, right? Put them through the machine, the black box, I call it. And they figured out at least five key things that the best salespeople do. The one that really pertains to what I want to talk to you about to kind of round this out is that the whole thing about no confidence, mm -hmm. what they found is that the best salespeople, when they saw their customers struggling to make a decision, they moved into what he termed proactive guidance. In other words, they moved into advocacy mode. So I see you struggling. I know you want to do something, mm -hmm. but you're like, well, you know, I'm not sure about this. And then I say something like this, Christy, based on what you've told me, based on what you want to do, your budget, whatever it may be, I'm going to recommend this one right here. And then you go, here's why. Okay. That's recommendation mode. And the difference in close rates was, I think, like 144%. Wow. Most who didn't guy. Because too often we just go, well, what do you think? Right. Right. Because we're like, I, I, I don't know. And I joke about it. It's almost like, a, you know, if you go, the brain surgeon says, look, we can come in through your left ear, your right ear, or from under your chin. What do you want to do? I'm like, 
dude, I don't know. You're the brain <laughs> surgeon. You tell me. Well, well, so if you're the subject matter expert, you're kind of doing the same thing, right? Well, what do you want to do? I'm like, and the customer's like, I, 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 I don't know. And that's when you should move into advocacy mode. And I think that's very powerful. So clients are lacking the confidence to make a buying decision. Mm -hmm. And if we don't move into advocacy mode and give them that confidence, they'll do the, I'll think about it. Let me get to you. you know, yeah. Talk to my spouse next quarter, whatever it may be. That's where we lose a lot of deal. If I can, I just add this last up. Uh, one of the studies that a corporate division did years ago, I thought was really fascinating. On average, you will win 40% of your deals, right? 40. By switching into advocacy mode to close? Push, uh, let me separate those two. Push advocacy okay, okay. Just in general, they did a, uh, what do you call that, a, a cross-sectional study of different industries. And what they found is on average, you'll win 40% of your deals. You'll lose 60% okay. of your deals, right? So okay. where did that 60% go? What they found is that 20% went to your competitor, mm -hmm. but 40% went to no decision. 40% hmm. went to no decision. And, I, and so now we tie it back to what you just mentioned. Why did they do no decision? Because they were unsure. They had no confidence in the buying decision. And that's when you should have moved into advocacy mode. So I, I, I like to tie those two together because when I read the data from the new book, from mm -hmm. Tether, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. This is where that 40% can't make a buying decision. So for those of you who think, because you know, you may be, again, listening or watching, you think, well, Victor, I don't want to be pushy. I'm not saying be pushy. It's not what right. I'm saying. I'm not advocating that at all. Is that if you see somebody struggling to swim, you're not just going to say, come on, man, swim faster or swim better, push harder, <laughs> right? You're right. going to a lifesaver, right? So mm -hmm. you're kind of throwing the customer a lifesaver. Here's what I think you should do. And it's like social proof. If you say, here's what people in your situation mm -hmm. with these variables, here's what they're doing. And the customer goes, oh, okay. So they're doing it also. Social proof, right? Yeah. And that's advocacy mode. Oh, love it. Love it. That is such a great tip. Um. Well, and I, I was also thinking in terms of uh, just this economy moving forward, are there any, I know there's all kinds of upsell techniques. Are there any that you think are going to be more effective for kind of as we move into 2023, or do you feel like that's just completely up to the person? I, you know, it's, it is a big question. The, the one thing I will tell you is that, you know, so too often we buy with our own pocket. In other words, we were like, I don't think they can afford it. Right. Okay. And you, don't put the, you don't put the price out there. <clears throat> price is not really an objection. I mean, unless your prices are so crazy. Right. Of course, it's an objection. But if they're within the realm of 10 to 15 percent plus or minus, it's not an issue. And study after study has shown that price isn't really an issue. We experience this all the time. If we find something and it's a little more expensive, but I trust the person I'm buying it from, I'll buy it, right? Uh, we had a guy come over, Chris, you'll love this. So a guy comes over and we want, it was like a year or two ago, for us, but we got to put a new roof on the house, right? Mm -hmm. And as we talked to this one company first and I don't know, just you get that icky feeling because they're trying to sell you, right? Yeah. Just too slicky, right? Too slicky. Then this other guy comes over, which recommended from our neighbor. He comes over. Christy, I swear to you, he has the personality of a rock. Like, <laughs> I mean, it, it's like words cost him because he's very, you know, he economizes words. He doesn't use that many words. <laughs> he just said, uh, he's like, well, uh, why don't you show me around the house? Okay. You know, so he show me around the house. What are you thinking? I said, well, we're thinking this. Dad goes, no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> look, at him, look around. No, here's why. 
And then he starts like every question we hit him with, he's like, here's why, here's hmm. why. If you want to save money, here's where you save money. But if you need to spend a little extra, I would spend it over here. And within, I don't know, 20 minutes, we said, yes, you're the guy, right? Because he did wow. several things. The first one was he didn't try to sell us. He was just talking to us. He was answering the question. So he positioned himself as a subject matter expert. And, but he wasn't trying to sell. He said, I'm just yeah. trying to help you. Yeah. Don't put your money here. Don't put it on the ridge vent. Put it over here. Do this, do that. And you're like, oh, didn't think about that. And if you think about it, again, that's what people want. So as yeah. you're moving, as we're moving into the recession, right? Because I think we're already in one. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is don't change your selling style. In fact, be more confident. I think okay. now's the time to boost your confidence when it comes to actually promoting or advocating something for a client. And don't think it's price because it's really not price in the end. Unless, again, it's, it's so out of whack, then of course it is. But I think as we move into this, this new economy this coming year, stick with your confidence, resist discounting as much as you can, and really focus on, am I giving them the value? Am I really trying to help them? And can I quantify how I can help them? And if you can do that, just stick with your price. And I always get the question, Victor, are you telling me you never discount? Of course I do, right? But I'm telling you, it's the last, I'm like holding out with like my nails not to give it up, right? But if I think I'm going to lose something and I really want it because there's a bigger uh, bonus behind that. In other words, if I get this one, I know I can get this other stuff. Of course I'll do it. So I never, there are no absolutes in the world of selling. Okay, good. Oh, I, that, I love that. Honest, that honest? Because everyone's like, well, I never discount. Of course I do. I, but I, I resist it. I think. Yeah. If I would average my discounting, I think I discount about three out of 10 deals I discount. Oh, three. really? Three out of 10. Okay. Yeah. And do you feel like that's more often for new customers versus existing or is that not a factor? Oh, it's a mixed bag. You know, yeah. because new customers, you're trying to get them in because you're going to then upsell them later, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I discount if I have to on the front end. With existing clients, because they keep throwing business at me, it's kind of disrespectful not to kind of give them a little price break right? because they've given you business. So yeah. it's a little bit of both. Okay. Uh, and I, I, again, I, I hate absolutes. I hate when all these these sales gurus like, you know, I never just, I never do this or never, you know, they, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. The one thing I will say is don't discount to the point where you, it becomes resentment money. Do you know yes. what I mean by resentment? Yes. Money? It's like, ah, oh, why did I take this dumb deal? Walk right. away from that because I, I've learned you, apparently you've learned this as well, right? We don't <laughs> want resentment money. No. It, it serves nobody. So it's better to just not do the deal at all. So know your floor, know your mm-hmm. walk away number. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Any, you've given so much. Is there any final piece of advice that you want to leave listeners with? I mean, I know we've covered a lot. <laughs> Here's a general one. Uh, the, um, uh, I was reading the book Atomic Habits, right? Mm, yeah. A year ago. And it's a very, if you haven't read Atomic Habits, read Atomic Habits. I think it's James Clear. Mm-hmm. And then there he talked about the 1% rule, right? Improve 1% every day. If you improve 1% every day, uh, you know, within 72 days, you'll be 2x better. Within 222 days, you'll be 10x better. By the end of the year, 365 days, you'll be 37x better. And <clears throat> I, you know, I started asking the question, well, what does 1% mean? And there's 1,440 minutes of the day. 1% of that is 14.4 minutes. Call that 15. Sure. Everybody should dedicate 15 minutes a day to working on their craft. And by craft, I mean not just the product that you're building or selling or the service, but on the craft of selling. Listen to a podcast. Listen to this. Listen to other podcasts, whatever it may be. 
but just 15 minutes a day. That's all I'm asking people to do. And that'll keep you in the game mentally, but you'll feel the growth after some time. It's like, again, that if you remember that curve in um, the, uh, the atomic habits, it's very exponential. You don't see the results within the first you know, 100, 200 days. You'll start seeing it after that. So hang in there 15 minutes every day. Come on, people, you can do that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. And, and make sure that you check him out at victorantonio.com. You can go to Amazon, get Mastering the Upsell, or my goodness, he has over a dozen other books. So no, I'm gonna, by the way, I'm going to send you an electronic copy of Mastering the Upsell, and oh. then you can then distribute it to your folks. Oh my gosh. Let's Thank do that. You. Let's, let, come on. Let's, it's the end of the year. Merry Christmas. All that. Good wow. Stuff. Let's, do, let's do that. Let's get a bonus. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. We'll win, have win. that available for you guys. Thank you so much. Really appreciate awesome. you coming on today. Thank you. And thanks for everyone. And we will see you next week. To succeed in business, you need brand awareness, authority, and trust. To get those, you need visibility. Podcasts offer each of these. It's a unicorn platform because it gives you the scarcest resource in digital marketing, attention. Did you know that 80% of podcast audiences listen to the entire episode and more than 50% consider buying from a brand or individual that they discover on a podcast? Building your own show and audience takes years. Grow faster by guest speaking on other podcasts to get more leads, build your SEO and strengthen your brand. To learn how my agency can help, email me at hello at christybilbury.com.